Amen. First Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. Now I realize that I might be the only thing standing between you and the Super Bowl, but I'm going to preach a little bit today if that's all right. I said, is that all right? <laughs> Amen. Because I got an assignment today. Amen. I got an assignment, and I thank God for this word that he has placed in my heart. The word of the Lord says this way, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him. And said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. With God's help today, I want to speak on the thought, the healing journey, the healing journey. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to speak to us in this moment. Father, we thank you for your presence that we feel in this house right now. You have come not only to visit us, but to inhabit the praises of your people. And God, I need a special anointing to come upon me right now, God, to fill my heart and my mouth with your word and to touch the hearing of every person in this place, God. Surely somebody needs to be healed. Someone needs to take that next step in their healing journey. Father, I pray that by your divine will and power, that will be done. Father, I bind all doubt, confusion, uncertainty, and fear because perfect love cast out fear. In the name of Jesus, we give you glory and honor. Some would say amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Elijah's life is in many ways a case study of extremes. I'm fascinated by his life. Extreme ups, extreme downs, extreme friends, extreme enemies. Extreme miracles and extreme weaknesses. But God would have it no other way. Because this was an extreme time. An intensely dark period in Israel's history. The extreme nature of evil that spread under the regime of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel demanded a man of extreme faith a man of extreme conviction, to stand for truth and righteousness and call Israel back to God. So his life and the period in which he lived was all about extremes. And extremes 
attract extremes. And so living extreme for God doesn't do what you might think it does by repelling pain and trouble. It actually invites it. In fact, the more extreme you get for God, not to scare anybody today because there's nothing to be afraid about, but the more extreme you get for Christ and the more extreme you are for him and just in life in general, uh, the more extreme all life tends to be. And we find this is the case through many uh, patriarchs, heroes and heroines throughout scripture, whether it's Elijah, like I'm reading about today, Joseph, David, or even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Those who love hard often suffer hard. Amen. Those who believe hard tend to bruise hard. Those who lead hard also bleed hard. And probably Jesus is the prime example of this because he came with a powerful mission to redeem, to save us from our sins. He was, he was God in flesh, and he had a powerful mission, and he loved hard, and he loved passionately. But he was also, as Isaiah wrote and foretold, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And so we see these, these polar opposites at work even in Christ. But this scene in uh, Elijah's life shows us how quickly the pendulum swings in life from blessing to breaking, from, from high to spiritual low. And it's one that we ought to pay attention to because if you are extreme in any way in your life, whether it's extreme faith or extreme love uh, for, for, your, for your family or your friends, if you're extreme in any way in your life, then there is a high probability that you will extreme, uh, you will experience some kind of extreme hurt. Because if you love somebody extremely and they disappoint you, what happens? You are extremely disappointed. Amen? If you don't love somebody so extremely and they hurt and disappoint you, you're not so hurt extremely about it. You're kind of like, oh, it is what it is. But if you love and do anything, if you're extreme about your job, you're extreme about your career, and then you lose that job or career, it feels like an extreme loss. But if you don't really love your job and you're kind of looking for a way out and you lose that job, it's not so extreme. But I think every one of us is extreme in at least one place. I hope one of those places is, is in your faith, amen, in your relationship with God. But if you're extreme, you're going to experience also some extreme pain at times, especially in the heart. And this is what happened to Elijah. And it also reveals this period in his life, this scene, reveals three steps to a healing journey. Now, why do I entitle it a healing journey? Because oftentimes healing is a process. Someone say it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen instantaneously all the time. Thank God when it does. Amen? Thank God when it does. And, and when we experience instant healing in any way, praise God for that. We love that instant relief that we get. But many times the healing that we so desperately want takes time. Or it's at least a multi-step 
process. It's not something that occurs right away. And when we see Elijah in this extreme emotional low point in his life where his heart is overcome with stress, worry, anxiety, I mean, you name it, all of the different, I think, emotional conditions one could feel all kind of came crashing and bearing down on Elijah in this moment. But the first thing that we see in the road to healing is this, is that, number one, you need to commune with God in prayer. Someone say prayer. We read there in verse 4, it says, he prayed, and he prayed. Now, before we scrutinize the contents of this prayer, we first need to recognize that he prayed. The Bible says in James 5 and 13, is anyone among you suffering? That's the question. And the answer is, let him pray. Can I just tell somebody right now, it's never wrong to pray. Pastor, that's so basic, huh? I know it is, but let me say it again. It's never wrong to pray. You don't have to wait to feel like praying. You don't have to wait to be in the mood to pray, or you don't have to do what a lot of people do is kind of get their thoughts and get their emotions and kind of get themselves together and in order before they pray. No, God says, my door is wide open, and I'm inviting you to come just as you are into my presence and pray. Thanks be to God that he doesn't test us and evaluate us uh, and dismiss us uh, based on how we are before we go into prayer. But what we see here in Elijah's case is that no matter what condition your heart is, uh, God is saying, why don't you come and talk to me about it? Amen, somebody. It's always right to pray. It's never wrong to pray. Let me tell you, even if what you confess in prayer is not 100% right, even if your conclusions that you are drawing about your life are not 100% right. Prayer is not for perfect people to pray perfect prayer. Prayer is for mm, everybody, no matter where you are. Prayer is a safe space to talk to God about whatever it is that is on your heart. How many of you are thankful for that today? Amen? Let me tell you that God can handle it. Whatever it is that you need to get off your chest, whatever it is that you've been bottling up, whatever it is that's been, that's been wrecking you, that's been disturbing your peace, keeping you up at night, depressing you, making you cry, God can handle it, my Lord. I felt something when I said that. He can handle it. He's heard it all. There is nothing you're going to tell God that's going to surprise him anyways. He's just waiting for you to get honest with him and say, God knows that sometimes we pray things that don't quite uh, add up. He knows that sometimes our, our petitions are, are misguided and our conclusions are, are ill-advised. And come, sometimes we come to God asking for things amiss. We start asking for stuff that God knows, well, I, those are just your emotions talking. I know you really don't want me to flatten those people's tires. You're just mad right now. How many of you are thankful God doesn't answer every prayer? Because we have prayed some stuff that, oops, if I could take that one back. Hmm? <laughs> and, and, and thank God that he doesn't do that. 
But the, but the remedy is found in prayer. It's not found in popular psychology. It's not found in, in, in all of the lexicons and the books of the world. That's not where you start, my friend. You start in prayer. Oh, my God. It's got to begin in prayer. And Elijah was honest when he went before the Lord and he confessed. He said, God, I've had enough. Whew, my Lord. He said, it is enough. And that, my friend, was not just his fatigue talking. That wasn't just his, uh, his emotions talking. That it was more than just, I've heard people, preach, preachers preach that, that, that he was just having a big pity party. Listen, I think it's, it, it's unfair to Elijah to call this just a big pity party. I think that it was more than just a mental slump. Elijah had reached a place where he simply couldn't take it anymore. And even if it was partly because of his skewed way of seeing things, even if it was partly because uh, he was a little off track, uh, I believe that as he confesses to God, I've had enough, he was being true and honest and raw before God. And you have to understand that the moment he says this to God comes right after his most epic his most epic encounter with God's power. It came right after he had just defeated all the 450 prophets of Baal plus another 400 prophets of Astra on the Mount of Carmel when he called fire down from heaven and it consumed the wet sacrifice proving that Jehovah was God. I mean, he just came off of the greatest revival that he's ever had in his life. And all of a sudden, from that point to this point, he says, God, I can't take it anymore. All because of one letter that reached him from Jezebel's desk telling him that by tomorrow, I'm going to execute you the way that I did all those prophets. How does a man go from seeing the fire of God fall, executing one by one? I mean, it was a, it, this was just, I mean, it was gory, you know. It was, it was just, you know, it was rated R, the kind of. Of, uh, of bloodshed that took place uh, and, and it was a, a decisive victory. How does one go from there to this point of emotional fallout uh, overnight it seems? How does he go there? I think it's because like all of us he's only human and he got into a moment in his life where because of one message because of one thing that somebody said against him it took him back maybe years in the past it took him back to another time in his life where he was weaker, another time in his life where he knew less of God, or another time in his life where he wasn't as spiritual or wasn't a, it just took him back uh, to his lowest place uh, uh, in life. Uh, and he got so low that he's even contemplated suicide. He even contemplated taking his own life. That's how serious. It was. He sunk into depression. He said, I can't take this anymore. And then he says, I'm no better than my fathers. I'm no better than my fathers. I'm no better than them. In other words, I'm a failure. I, I, there, I must be a defect, uh, a defected product. I must be damaged goods. I, I'm better off dead, God. And yes, he might say, well, you know, Elijah's just being melodramatic. He doesn't really mean all these things. Uh, and maybe there's a part of him that did it. But, but you've got to respect the fact that he is saying these things and he means them to a certain degree. But as he is praying and as he's there, he's just kind of laid out before God. He falls asleep and 
And right in that moment, the Bible says that suddenly an angel touched him and started to wake him up. Can I just tell you today that no matter how low you might feel, how wounded, how insulted, how hurt, how broken you are in your heart, you are not outside the reach of the touch of God this afternoon. I have come to encourage some. Hey, come on, give God some praise. I've come to encourage you and tell you that the hand of God is in this place to touch your heart and heal you and raise you up from where you are. Somebody say amen today. If you would just keep praying, God will show up. And his presence is a sign that he is still working. His presence is a sign. I think that when he felt the touch of that angel, it must have surprised Elijah. Like, man, I thought God fired me already. I thought he took me off the payroll. I thought I was done. And some of you right now, I say this in the Holy Ghost, you're feeling the touch of God. And that touch of God is an indication to you that God still loves you and God still has a plan for you and God still chose you. Hallelujah, somebody. How you feel doesn't change who you are. How you feel doesn't change God's opinion about you. How you feel doesn't change uh, God's, uh, God's uh, his opinion about your life. God does not change his mind about you because you've changed your mind about you. God still has a plan to bless you. God still has a plan to raise you up, and he's going to heal, and he's going to touch. And when heaven touches something, let me tell you, it increases in value. The angel said to him, arise and eat. Someone say, arise. Someone say, eat. Yes. And the next step is, after you commune with the Lord in prayer, and you continue, don't stop doing it, you continue to commune with God in prayer every day, pray without ceasing. Like Paul said, you've got to consume God's provision. Angel said, okay, you know, enough of this. Uh, you need to get up and you need to eat something. When you are physically sick, you lose your appetite most times. You don't feel like eating. I don't care if somebody places in front of you the most delicious meal you have ever smelled or seen. When you're not feeling right, you don't want to eat. You're just like, huh, put it away. Doesn't do anything to you. And so it is emotionally and spiritually sometimes. You can tell when someone is sick on the inside when they don't want to eat. Doesn't matter how good the preaching is. Doesn't matter what song is being sung. Doesn't matter what programs are happening. Doesn't matter what's going on. When you're not emotionally, spiritually well, you don't want to eat. You lose your hunger for life, for dreams that God's given you, for desires that God's placed in you. Watch what Proverbs 13, 12 says. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hmm. But when desire comes, it is a tree of life. Other translations say when desires come, it is a tree full of fruit to eat. A sick heart cannot eat the fruit of life. That was Elijah. He didn't want to eat. He was so wrapped up in his feelings and his emotions. He was so wrapped up in how things were going for him. But everything changed 
when the angel touched him that day. And he shrugged him and he touched him and he said, it's time to get up. And I believe, as I'm looking up this story, that when he felt that touch of heaven on his life, there was a transfer of healing. Because that which was infirmed came into contact with that which is whole. Heaven touched earth. How many of you know there's no diseases in heaven? My God. There's no sicknesses in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's no sadness in heaven. There are no tears in heaven. So when heaven touches earth like it did here in this scene, it had to transfer something into Elijah when all of a sudden when he woke up, he probably got his hunger back again. And in verse 6 it says, then he looked. And there by his head was a cake of bread on coals and a jar of water. You didn't know that angels could cook, huh? <laughs> and I'm not talking about angel hair pasta. It's okay, you can laugh. I know it's corny. It's all right. Angel food cake. No, this is a different type of angel's food cake. But this angel whipped up something for Elijah and said, hey, man, wake up and eat. And it was bread and water. Cake there doesn't refer to like a birthday cake, okay? This is actually bread. And he's got bread and water. And this is significant. It's very symbolic. Why? Because we see these pictures all throughout Scripture. Anytime God gets ready to restore someone, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, bread and water is what's on the menu. You say, well, what is that? Well, bread represents the word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Amen, somebody. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what is that, that bread? That bread is the word of God. Let me tell you today, hear me loud and clear. If you are struggling today or if you find yourself struggling tomorrow, you will not get any better unless you feed yourself the word of God. If you want to be healed, listen, and stay healed, then you need a steady diet of the word of God. You need to consume the word of God. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit. Hallelujah. And they are life. This word, this Bible, the scriptures, they come to us not just to inform us and not just to move us in a certain way, but they not just to teach us, but they come to reach us and they come to build us up. Hallelujah. And if you're going to get healed and stay healed, it's got to be through the consumption of his word. Get in his word. Break, his, break that daily bread and get into the Psalms and get into the word and see what the say of the Lord, but not only that, but he also had for him a jar of water, and the water represents the Holy Ghost. The water represents the Spirit of God. Not only do you need to continually to feed yourself the Word of God if you're going to stay healed and be healed, but you need to drink from the refreshing fountains of the Spirit. Hallelujah. You've got to get into the Spirit of the Lord. I feel something right now. And drink deeply from the Holy Ghost and pray when you pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in tongues because as you do, you are edifying yourself. Hallelujah. You've got to pray. 
way and into the spirit. And this is how we're going to stay healed and move towards healing in our heart. And as you get the water of the spirit into your heart, not only is it going to quench every drop place in your heart, not only is it going to quench your thirst, but what the water does, it starts to wash away all of the toxins. It starts to cleanse your system. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. It starts to wash away and wash your wounds and treat your wounds. You've got to get the water of the Spirit flowing in your life so that it can wash away the bitterness. Come on. Wash away the hatred. Wash away the anger. Wash away all the depression. Somebody give God some praise today. Step to healing is about communing with God in prayer. It's about consuming the word. And thirdly, it's about connecting with the right people. Connecting with the right people. Something happened as Elijah was in this low point. It's very unfortunate. And many of you know exactly how this feels in some way or another. But as he sunk into despair, verse 3 tells us that he and his only confidant, his only remaining friend, his servant, parted ways. They parted ways. And there came a point in his journey where Elijah basically told him, we don't know the servant's name, his friend, but, but he tells him, look, stay right here. Now, on the surface, that sounds like Elijah didn't want him to go with him. But it wasn't that Elijah didn't want him to go with him. Elijah didn't want him to go with him out of obligation. Elijah wanted his company, but what he didn't want was charity. He wanted somebody that wanted to be with him because they wanted to be with him. And so he gave him an opportunity to walk away. And I think this guy was so relieved. He was like, man, this is bad. You know, everything was great when we were calling fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel. But I don't want to be a part of this, you know. Things that, this is not what I signed up for. And so I think that his servant friend was relieved because he wanted out. And as painful as it was, I'm just about done. As painful as it was, listen, this was a moment of clarity for Elijah. This was a moment of clarity. It was a moment of clarity because he found out some things that sometimes you don't find out until you hit an emotional or spiritual low. You find out who's really with you. Because now... He knows who is really with him. Some of you are realizing that not everyone who started with you is going to finish with you. And wouldn't it be nice if they did? But not everyone who starts with you finishes with you. Man, I know that firsthand. I've experienced throughout my own life. And, and it seems like those departures, they always feel so ill-timed. Like, really? 
Like, this is when I need you the most. You want to walk out on me? But Elijah didn't fight for what he was saying because he said, if I, if I have to convince him now, I'm going to spend the rest of my life convincing him. And some of you need to be free from that. Because real friendship and partnership in the kingdom of God is not about holding people hostage in your life and saying, no, you, you, you have to. Like Elijah's friends, some will stand with you on the mountain of God. They'll stand with you in the good times. They'll stand with you on the mountain, but they'll vanish in the valley. Hear me today. I don't say what I'm saying today to, to bash those people. No, that's not what we're doing. We're not going to start sending them hate mail. No. Because it's not even about them. We're learning through our healing journey. We're learning that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Woo! My God. Aren't you glad you came to church? My God. I'm glad I came to church today. I needed to hear that. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And you need to understand this. Hear me today. Not everyone, this is going to help somebody, not everyone is qualified to walk with you in your wilderness. Not everyone is qualified. But there would come a day and that day would come soon because everything would change for Elijah because in this moment of healing, God begins to speak to Elijah. And you can read the rest of the story there. There's lots of details in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, but he tells him to go out on the mountain of God. He shows him lightning. He shows him thunder. He shows him wonders from heaven. And then there came a still small voice. And God begins to talk to Elijah. And one of the things he tells him is this, which was a key to his step in healing. He says, you're going to go and you're going to anoint Elisha. God is saying, I did not intend for you to take this journey by yourself. It's just that that relationship went as far as it can go. That person went as far as it can go. But now I've got a new community for you. Mm, my God, don't get spiteful. Would you stand with me today? Don't get spiteful. Don't get possessive. Don't get even. The best thing that you can do is let them go. Whoever hurt you, whoever wounded your heart, whoever said that nasty thing, whoever took advantage, whoever wasn't in it for the long haul, Close your eyes right there. I just feel the spirit of God. I just, I just tell somebody that letting go is the key 
to loving again. My God, it's the key to loving again. It's the key to finding the community, finding the friendship, the love, church, your church family is here. God is here. Mm, my Lord, everything I say that you need is right here. But there's a still small voice that's talking and saying, when you let that go, you can hold on to this. This is what the word of the Lord says in Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. I don't know if there's somebody right now under the sound of my voice who just needed to hear this word. Somebody who needs to take the next step in your healing journey. But I'm going to invite you to pray because what did I say in the beginning? It all starts with prayer. I'm going to invite you right there where you are to open up your heart and begin to talk to God. I want you to begin to talk to God right now. I want you to begin to express to God whatever you want is in your heart. Whatever step you are in in your journey, whatever step you are in in your healing, hallelujah, whatever step you are in God restoring, in God reviving, in God rebuilding something in your heart, something in your life, wherever you are, my friend, it all starts at an altar of prayer. It all starts when you begin to go before God and start telling Him what's on your heart. Oh, hallelujah. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you.